bronchitis. Bronchitis ain't that bad. <laughs> bronchitis ain't that bad. Uh, yeah, call me when there's long bronchitis. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Mandatory Redistribution Party. My name is Jack Lewis Evans. And my name is Sean Morley. Essential workers. Ending homelessness. Mutual aid. Schools are replaced by Pepper Pig. The Right Honourable Jess Phillips MP raging at Pizza Hut. The grassroots organising and solidarity of the UK's first COVID-19 lockdown gave us a cheeky peep of an unwrecked future. We now associate the UK's pandemic response with unnecessary mass death, corruption, the funneling of money to corporations and tax havens, and the all-round hypocrisy and lies of our government. And, most importantly, the the naughty cake. cake. But it was not always like this. There was a glimmer of something in 2020 that if you squint hard enough, you can still see. However, you can never squint hard enough to see our bonus features. People have tried. It melted their cataracts. They can only be accessed by signing up to patreon.com slash mandatory redistribution party and pledging a tiny little bit of chip which we promise to use to sustain our bodies and minds. The Right Honourable Jess Phillips MP has yet to tweet about Mandos, but many of you recommend our episodes on social media and we greatly appreciate it. You can also help others find the podcast by giving us a five-star review on your favoured podcast application. Do you know, I'm still under lockdown now. Now? It's 2022, there's no lockdown now. Oh, um... I'm a special one. What's, what do they call it? House arrest. What for? What did you do? Uh, the, the cops hacked my WhatsApp and found out about when I invited my neighbour over in 2020 for some baklava. I got two trays by accident. Can you just put it through their letterbox or something? Uh, thought of that. The dog would have got it. She is mad for these. But she's not going to get this new batch. Uh-oh. Okay, that's her. Um, uh, would you be able to take these off me, actually? They're very nice. Um, very sweet. Yeah, okay. Very, can you take them? Yeah, yeah, give them here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, here you go. All right, great. That is off my The dog's, the dog's angry. What's, what's, is that the cops? Uh, yeah, she can't be stopped. Yeah, that will be the cops, yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake, Sean, not again! I'm sorry, I'll visit you in prison. You know when you pop into the shops, you might pop your head around the doorway to anyone else in the house and be like, I was popping to the shops. Do you want anything? Yeah, yeah. It's like minimal effort, but you do feel like you, you're a returning champion because you've brought someone, you know, some of that stir-through Nesquik milkshake powder. Yes, you feel like the, the hunter-gatherer of old. But you also feel magnanimous, right? You've, <laughs> you've come back and you've not just got your own little bits. You've not just got your own bread for the week. Yeah. You've come back with arms. Mm, mm. <laughs> this is for you. Here's your crisps. I got this for you out of compassion. I thought about your needs. And I think the I'm popping to the shops is probably one of the simplest and effective ways of like doing someone a quick favour because you're doing it anyway. Yes. Kind of a very efficient social altruism. Yeah. But at the moment it's confined to the household. Mm. Why can't I be like knocking on all my neighbours' doors on the way to the shops being like, I'm going to the shops, you want one? Hello? 
Hello? Hello? Do you <laughs> yeah. want a Scotch yeah. egg? It's it's half 11. Tesco's going to be shut in half an hour. This is your last chance saloon. What can I get you? Hello? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, for us to work, it would have to be rude not to answer the door to an unpop-into-the-shops person. And it might be like you see them coming up, you see them knocking five doors down. It's like, shut, turn off all the lights, shut the curtains. Someone's popping to the shops. I'm not dressed. I've just come out of the shower. You know, <laughs> lock it down. <laughs> or mm. everyone writes what they want from the shops and they like nail it to their front door like uh, the story of who's it? Moses. Moses and the spirit of death going around killing all the firstborns. Unless you wrote... <laughs> And that was the last plague, and it would only not come in if you put a sign up saying no soliciting, no junk mail. And then you could walk around and you just see everyone. Maybe you could QR code it, right? You go around with your Android yeah. and you QR code what everyone wants from the shops on the half a mile walk to the shops. And you come back and you feel like you've saved a whole community. But it'd take you ages. Have you got a big rucksack? Yeah. And also working out like how to square up afterwards. <laughs> That'd be awful. Yeah, sorry, I've actually spent a few hundred pounds. <laughs> yeah. Hello? <laughs> Hello? Ooh, I think you owe me money. Oh, you'll answer when you want the licorice, but now your payment is due. <laughs> you become like a secondary landlord yeah, for people's late-night sweet desires. You become like an enforcer for a loan shark. You'd have to. You'd, you'd start off as a guy who's just happy to put some extra things in their bags, and then a month later, you have your own bailiff firm. <laughs> We had a flavour of this. We mm. had a flavour of this very, very beginning of the first lockdown. Oh, yeah. So I never really fully experienced the going into the first pando lockdown. You had the coronavirus. Do you know what I mean? I fully had my own little 28 days later experience because I wasn't, like, fully lucid. I was just, like, in and out of fever fever. Yeah. So I woke up into, like, a shutdown world. You know, all the rushes on the shops and stuff to, like, yeah. get bits in. Oh, the bog roll fiasco and all that. Why I, I didn't get to do any of it because I was ill across that massive change of society. Uh. So I had to be one of these people being like, could someone get me some food? <laughs> could someone get me some pasta sauce? <laughs> and people did. Yeah, yeah. The world became Deliveroo. <laughs> <laughs> Why would, you why would you deliver when literally anyone's willing to go get you something? I'll tell you what, mutual aid anywhere. would put delivery out of business quick. Literally show. just a little bit of mutual aid. And rather than get someone who lives on the other side of the city to yeah. like go in, you know, a big triangle to some other random point of the city and <laughs> then come to me and then cycle home. Yeah. In a just union ask my mate who near the shops, yeah. Just ask my, my make friends who live near Nando's and just be always texting them. The speed with which mutual aid groups like sprang up was very good. That was like heartening early Pando experience. Like, oh yes, we care about each other and mm. will help each other in a crisis. Even neighbours you don't know, you will go get some stuff for them because they're very vulnerable. Shouldn't go to the shops on their own. So we're going to get it and we're going to put it on the doorstop and then knock and be like, hello, your stuff's here. I didn't get eggs. There's no eggs. <laughs> yeah, I hello? had to make some replacements. <laughs> <laughs> you become the, the person who's to be like, oh, they don't have literally anything they want. What do I think they should have instead? I got mini <laughs> eggs. <laughs> yeah. Mini eggs are an egg. They were selling an ostrich egg down in Waitrose. It's really heavy. <laughs> it's massive. It's cracking open. <laughs> Shit! Don't open the door. 
No, do open the door. Let it imprint onto you. It should believe that you are the parent, for you shall be paying me for the egg. <laughs> an old lady riding a, an ostrich like a chocobo from Final Fantasy. I earned this. <laughs> you're like, you're All like, eggs should have this kind of uh, gacha collectible thing where like, you can get a shiny and it's like, there's a creature in this one. This is what I think about Kinder Eggs. I think Kinder Eggs should be integrated into normal eggs. Because the notion of a Kinder Surprise, it's like, well, mm. I know there's going to be a little piece of plastic in there. I know the idea is you don't know what specific little piece of plastic you're going to get. But I think the Kinder Surprise concept would be much better if I was cracking an egg onto a pan to fry it. And, oh, little toy. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, some of them are Kinders. Yeah. You know, when there's sometimes little surprise bonus things in confections and children's mm, stuff, mm. they always think of it in terms of like, oh, it could be a fun bonus extra. They never think like one in a thousand is punishingly horrible and dangerous. Yes, one in a thousand <laughs> should be a bomb. Yeah, one in a thousand should, you know, leak your email history. <laughs> your <What>? email history. <laughs> yeah, that's where all the worst stuff is. <laughs> All the rejections. What are you emailing? All, well, I just apply for a lot of stuff I don't get and I don't want people to know my hit rate. Yeah. <laughs> people do analysis on that and be like, Sean's not actually. Sean's getting rejected for a lot of things. <laughs> I just what, think Leaked because of an egg. Kinder eggs. Mm. Do you know when you're younger, yes. loads of people put a lot of ego on how much spice they can consume? Oh, yes. I'm very familiar with this. We need a replacement for that. And I think just certain foods, there's a chance it will do a data breach on you. And that will be the new, that will be the spiciness for like Zoomers. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Zoomer spice, GDPR non-compliant curry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people risking an egg. You're risking an egg mm. there. You're risking an actual egg on this. It's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> just we'll get a naan. <laughs> it was good. So you got mutual aid. Very good early Pando experience. From a teaching perspective, it was fucking horrible because I was I had the double thing of like teacher, that was hard, and also I was the union rep, so a mm. lot of like a lot of meetings. But overall, the the way people sort of turned very quickly into like content creators <laughs> being able to i know some of the teaching that was done over a lot of time was shit but a lot of the people i work with a lot of teachers in general put a lot of work into trying to make it not shit it was like totally reskilling yourself mm. people were very were very willing to like try to do it and work together but then also stuff the stuff around that like cbbc which yes has some educational aspects but they like massively ramped that up in a, in a very short time frame again another institution that just like Everyone involved was like, let's make this work to help people in this crisis. Mm. Obviously, you know, it's horrible to be in a lockdown and for yet, you know, another, we're already in 2020 worried about the climate apocalypse and depressed because of the 2019 general election. But, uh, and we didn't really need a global pandemic. The response to it initially, not from the government, but from people in general, people and institutions in general was, was pretty inspiring, I think. I mean, certainly there are a bunch of people that have just, were chomping at the bit to like do anything either different or people who've wanted to be involved in like community organization mm. in some way and now it's incredibly clear how yeah. to do things to help there are people in the community who just need food deliveries yeah if you wanted to find a way just to help people without a massive time commitment mm. mutual aid groups just like sprung up all over the place so it wasn't just like individual acts of kindness right no, people not at all overnight systematized this into like 
organizations and communication systems structures for making sure like communities got by okay like immediately in the absence of government and bureaucratic systems that take time people just went People just and did like it. Filled in the gap straight away. Yeah, and that was the and cool thing. And it did it well, in my experience. The BBC did what it did of its own volition, and teachers mm. did what because there was no support. It wasn't like, oh, here's some training. Here's a here's a plan for how to deliver the curriculum in this totally new way. They basically just left every institution to figure it out on their own, and people did mm. together. I mean, that's obviously led to lots of variation in delivery, and there's millions of problems with it. Uh, but the willingness of people to make it work. I think, and to experiment with it was like really fucking cool. And then other stuff as well, like other new like possibilities that opened up. You remember all the early pandemic videos of like animals just everywhere. There's the goats in Tlandidno now. Oh, the whole nature is nature healing. Is there's healing. like a, yeah, there's a peacock driving a tram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, putting the uh, eco-fascist undertones of the nature is healing thing, you know, like humans are the virus, COVID is the vaccine shit aside for a moment. The, the idea of, of like, oh yeah, we could. If, if everyone decided collectively, we could massively reduce pollution. Obviously there's somewhere between locking everything down and no one being able to go anywhere ever again and what we have now but what i'm saying is in some ways capitalist realism felt breached yeah and like in terms of like what specifically practically happened in people's lives i think yeah like obviously a lot of uh, we like invented this new term key worker to describe like this cannot pause so these people you know we need You're people really to important. serve people bread we need people to be putting anesthetic into an ill cow people need to collect the bins people need to yeah. put stuff on shelves like it's it's really um, that was good to see i mean it, it's obvious why it very quickly dissipated but at the time it was good to say oh actually yes yeah, these people are essential these it, it was yeah. it wasn't just key it was essential early doors essential oh, workers yeah, yeah. It, it it isn't the banks yeah. These are the most important people in society. The stuff that became essential yeah. was not the stuff that's like normally celebrated in society. It is, you know, who takes away the bins. Yeah. A lot of cleaning and a lot of... Um, Logistics. Processing, yeah, just mm. moving things around. That has to happen. Whereas your brand management and social media <laughs> posting for Toblerone can maybe <laughs> pause for a week. And the thing is, I think that pause that yeah. like a lot of people in a lot of the bullshit job band which is a lot of people they got this temporary pause before well a moment to like <laughs> pause and not be at work and have yeah, to yeah, yeah. transition completely to hit the ground in a whole new way of working and living but also that sense that like everyone is tired and competing against each other mm. paused with it because when there's a suddenly like external threat we're not in the rat race because literally everyone has just paused their activities the moment you take away those external pressures and just the tiring nature of the work grind. Yes. Instantly, I think humans revert to, uh, well, I mean, not everyone, they're still bastards. They're you know, still but wankers, like, yeah. But I mean, by and large, people reverted to a more altruistic yeah. mode of looking and being like, how do I help this? I don't want to. And also, like, you can still frame a lot of altruistic behavior in slightly more selfish terms of like, I don't want everyone around me to be dead and to live in a hellhole world where people are looking out their windows saying, can you get me some bread? And I say no, and then they're dead, and then I have to think about that. <laughs> then I have to think about the person I didn't get bread for, and now they're scraping them off the duvet. Touching upon the, the bullshit jobs stuff, I think, you know, there was there was like a 
major class divide in terms of like who's an essential worker that's still having to go in to their job, which is now on hard mode and mm. who is furloughed. <laughs> but even if we accept that like furloughed people were in a kind of privileged position, again, we're still piercing capitalist realism in a sense of going like, do we have to be in an office? Mm. You know, if we, if we have symptoms of a thing, should we stay at home and not come and spread it to everyone we work with? These huge things that have felt like they're locked in, they're not going to change, suddenly like opened up of going, oh, maybe we could do this. I mean, even the idea of a Tory government supporting the furlough thing, which you've got to remember was, it was a, it was a win of the trade union movement that put immense pressure on the Tories to do this. It wasn't just like Rishi Sunak decided to be nice randomly. There was, there was immense union pressure to bring that about. And, you know, John McDonnell, uh, who was still the shadow chancellor at this point, pushing for it for the government said anything about like what is important about work and how work is done is being massively challenged austerity which has been like this giant cloud over economic policy for over a decade seems to just be like yeah fuck it bizarrely this this horrible crisis is like restoring your faith in humanity and the future there was a while before the government got their shit together and worked out what they were doing and so during that time people were looking at like other sources mm. to find out what's going on like people like suddenly were interested in what's going on in their community yes. because that's where the mutual aid groups are if you've got the rona you can't be looking at like the local papers or the national press for like who's going to get you some veg in <laughs> you need to be looking like who lives around me who yeah because the the response took a while and the government didn't seem to be doing things as fast as local communities were, the news cycle felt like it had also been pierced because people weren't completely glued to that. They also had to be mindful of, like, what other people were doing and experiencing. Westminster stopped being the absolute be-all and end-all of what's happening because when you're trapped at home, things that are near you are important rather than being caught in this idea that, like, what happens in Parliament is the be-all and end-all mm. of your life. <laughs> yeah. The huge one, I think, was, if you remember, when uh, whenever Corbyn got interviewed he and he got asked what was the first thing he would do as Prime Minister, he would always say, end homelessness. Mm. Like, that was a mad thing to hear, right? It was like, well, that sounds impossible. And then they did it. In March 2020, a letter was sent to every local authority in the country. It said, We want you to house the homeless. Find everyone who is sleeping outdoors. Give them somewhere to stay. Give them food. Give them medical treatment. Give them support to find secure, long-term housing. At the bottom, it's signed by Homeless Minister and ex-Farm Foods General Manager Luke Hall, allegedly, because to me it says El Ham. The scheme, called Everyone In, was assembled by Baroness Louise Casey, who had previously invented ASBOs for Tony Blair. Hey, listen, maybe she should have given him an ASBO. The coronavirus brought a massive uptick in homelessness. In 2020, one million people lost their jobs, or new isolation and care requirements stopped people from continuing or seeking work, families and relationships broke down, domestic abuse and those fleeing it increased nationwide. It sucked. 
the Everyone In scheme provided an unprecedented safety net for literally the most vulnerable people you can think of. Put up in hotels and invited out of mildewed concrete doorways, in interviews, rough sleepers, struggles to put into words, the surreal overnight reversal of decades of apathy, lethal criminalization, and police abuse. Issue of homelessness has been the eternal navel-gazing puzzle of the centrist think tanks, spending decades turning it over like it's a four-dimensional puzzle cube before sending off a white paper recommending the mandatory installation of card readers into the heads of rough sleepers. Columnists wondering aloud if doing the Hunger Games would be good for the economy. But something as basic and as humanizing as access to privacy, a warm bed and a shower gave people their independence back. It gave them the time and space and the surfaces to do paperwork on and plan for the future. This scheme was life-saving. In other major European and American cities, COVID spread to approximately 40% of the homeless community, with a mortality rate of over 150% of the national average. By June 2020, the deaths among rough sleepers in England was 16. In Wales, it was zero. And Wales estimated there to be fewer than 100 people still sleeping rough. In Scotland, that figure was lower than 50. But one month later, the wheels fell off. Or rather, someone took the wheels off, and later when questioned said, what even is a wheel? Funding for the scheme was quietly diverted to pay for, amongst other things, Rishi Dishi Superman Sunak's Eat Out to Help Out Empire of £7 lunch break crest sandwiches. And so quietly did the government close the scheme that is now being taken to court by an asylum seeker, refused entry into emergency shelters while everyone in was still being advertised and publicised by ministers. In May 2020, a Ministry of Housing spokesperson said, It is simply wrong and misleading to suggest that we have stopped the funding to keep rough sleepers off the street. But one year later, in May 2021, councils were told as a condition of their continued funding to tackle homelessness, they would need to shut down all of the special accommodations still running from the Everyone In scheme and cut any further housing support to asylum seekers, instead encouraging them to go to their real home of not England. According to Crisis UK, it would have cost £282 million to permanently rehouse those in the Everyone In scheme and continue to support emergency hotels and hostels for another year. For reference, that is less than one third of the Eat Out to Help Out scheme. And it's nothing compared to the billions of tax cuts that were brought out in the same statement. Thousands of people sent back into doorways, sleeping bags and tent cities to prop up high street retail landlords, selling floor space to franchisees to fill with unburnished wooden tables, selling deluxe cloudy lemonade to an intern who caught coronavirus on the train. Eat out to help who out? Am I helping the vacant-eyed staff of the Hard Rock Jacket Potato laser tag by giving them a tenner to fill a tatty with Monster Energy Drink and let me shoot at it with a Colt single-action army revolver? Is it my job, my patriotic duty to buy shit so people can have jobs selling the shit to me? After all, I might not like the guy who keeps spitting on the floor at the indoor market, but I'll buy his misspelled Bob Marley t-shirts and pornographic shoelaces if it helps him provide for his family. After all, I don't want people out of the job. If you don't have a job, well, you might become homeless. And if you're homeless, you can't get lived after. We've spent all the money on Rishi Dishi Superman Sunak's Crest Sandwich Empire. And as much as it helped people's lives, 
The everyone in funding was not the product of empathy. I don't believe the homeless community was seen as anything more than vectors of infection coughing too dangerously near a brand manager as they power walk through an underpass. But the pandemic increasingly feels like it occurred in a pocket dimension. As we return to our home planet, the memory holes yawned shut behind us, wiping the brains of anyone with any connection to power or policy. Suddenly, the solution to homelessness is back to an impossible mind palace of zooming algebra, overheating supercomputers and sending fevered policy wonks to the brain asylum for upset tummies. A realm of far-reaching targets and committees tabling meetings to explore infinitely scrolling PDFs of before and after diagrams of a person inside and outside of a house, with the word HOW in large, increasingly messier fonts, like if The Shining was set inside an NGO. For a brief moment, in March 2020, the solution was clear, because for a brief moment, it was possible. You have 48 hours. Give them somewhere to stay. Everyone in. Sean, I have looked up the letter you referenced, and he does. He's written Elham. Elham. It says Elham in blue ink. He has signed Laham. his name Elham, <laughs> Spanish pig-themed superhero. I think it's okay to have um, like a pseudonym, an alternate identity. <laughs> Elham. Yeah, Luke Hall. Sort of maybe, um, maybe a kind of cured pork furry kind of character. You never see furries. You see are, furries. Are, well, you, you never see furries that are animals that are either partway through or at mm. the end of the um, turning animals into meat process. You never see, like, a pork chop furry. <laughs> what the fuck? You never see a, tur- a, tur- a tur- turkey drumstick furry. Oh, my God. Turkey <laughs> dinosaur furry. That's a furry. <laughs> oh, Christ almighty. Luke Hall's website is inc- incredible. It has this... Uh selection he's got an image with all these little news stories and there's one which is called positive plan for broadband yeah let me find out what his positive plan is for broadband because it can't be giving people broadband it's, it's because that's communism it's really funny because he he talks about how it's a basic utility and 96 percent of local homes have access but it's not enough because everyone needs it so you accept that it's a basic need but you're gonna you're gonna, you're gonna have to pay for it but it's the way he stood in front of a one of those green broadband boxes, but amongst a, a, a huge field of sort of five foot nettles. I was going to say, so like what they want is, because they're talking about rural broadband yeah, needs. Yeah, yeah. So like make this as rural as possible. And it's like, <laughs> have you got anything that looks beautiful? And it's like, well, we don't tend to put these like fucking rusted green box, <laughs> like substation little boxes next to the pastoral bits. We took them by where people fly tip. And it's like, we'll find the ruralest one you can. Yeah, do you want to stand next to the nettles? it's a security measure by open reach do you know netflix and other streaming services put like drives they put little computers with loads of stuff on in some of these stations netflix are in these little boxes that you see on the corners of those little boxes but they have like to to speed up access because and that's it's one of those things of like you know like the physical infrastructure of the cloud it's just it's just a computer somewhere else it's just but, hidden computers. It's just hidden computers, but some of the computers are hidden closer to you than you think. Yeah, what Netflix has done is geocached computers in places <laughs> only people with a certain council <laughs> Allen key can access. <laughs> Secret Plex server. 
someone goes into it and starts replacing all the Breaking Bad episodes with uh, Naruto. With just their own vlogs, trying to go viral. <laughs> just for a certain area within, like, catchment of this one green box. If you go in, it's just this one engineer talking about their favourite flavours of crisps, doing food reviews of, like, <laughs> the KFC's no, just, just, just new pure, menu. Just pure K's cooking. So you go, like, have you watched that Breaking Bad? Yeah, I started watching it on Netflix, but it was just this... Um, this woman sort of feeding her son crunchy, uncooked pasta. Yeah, and he never enjoys it, but he is positive for He's positive his mum's sake, which is yeah. good. That's quite heartwarming. Keeps it going. But yeah. so I'm not. Where does Walter White come? Is he Walter White? Yeah, Walter White's just got an air fryer now, but he doesn't know how to use it. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps filling it full of hot oil. <laughs> Science, bitch. <laughs> Yeah, he's used his chemistry skills to um, accidentally overcook a bargey. <laughs> One of my favourite early Pando news headlines is, there is, no there is no such thing... <coughs> Excuse me. One of my favourite early Pando news headlines is, the is, is, this, is this from The Guardian. Keep all that in exactly as you said it, doesn't that? <laughs> <laughs> Um, Sunday the 29th of March 2020 there is no such thing as society says Boris Johnson from Bunker wow that is like an onion headline it's real it's just weird early pando stuff like um, Jess Phillips getting fucking pissed off at Pizza Hut mm. Labour MPs just like slagging off some of the lowest paid workers in the economy like where's my fucking pizza proper like maximum can I speak to the manager and all, the other one that sticks with me is Louis Theroux getting in shit with his wife for making lasagna constantly that passed me by Louis Theroux kept making kept making lasagna and then he had to do a post like a post saying I'm gonna have to stop making lasagna now because my wife is accusing me of avoiding the family by making lasagna but then like it's mixed in. He's like saying he's going to have to stop making lasagna, but it's also mixed in with like a review of the lasagna recipe. And he's like, this is a BBC recipe. And actually it's not very good. It transpires that the reason it's not very good is actually he didn't follow it because he was pissed. Right. That's all in the same post. You can imagine Louis Theroux being someone who is slightly avoidant of their own family and friends, but feeling like their work is socially important and absorbing and therefore it would take an act of God to make them really reckon with why they're behaving that way. <laughs> and that's why it has to turn into something like some sort of lasagna frenzy and it's it feels like a rejected peep show episode of like Mark going, I just need to make another lasagna. The depressing thing though is how the glimmers of, of hope from the early Pando rapidly evaporate. I mean, let's just talk about the homelessness thing given we've just come out of it. One of the surreal things in the, in like the dismount mm. is press releases and think tanks have gone back to talking about the complex problems of homelessness without reference to like what yeah. literally just happened and how effective <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, yeah. and how it was like determined by national homelessness charities to be like literally just Look, fund that slightly more and we really think homelessness can be not completely eradicated because... Homeless people will still be produced as long as we're still doing all the other shit stuff mm. that we're doing. The kind of social problem that you would say is more or less resolved. And also the Conservative Party, I think afterwards as well, set a new pledge to end homelessness by 2024. Which, <laughs> we already did it. Was you know, what, you mean end it again? <laughs> what are we going to do? End and unend so we can end it again? Wow. But also it's just one of those convenient... Do you know, 
it feels weird when we live in a system of representative democracy where all our representatives change every four years, yeah. <laughs> in theory. Yeah, in theory. To be like, I'm going to do something in five years. Yeah. You know, people saying that they're going to do things precisely when their term will definitely have ended. But they'll never be held to account by the British press. People who are currently serving aren't held to account. So the idea that we'd have a memory of what the past <laughs> ministers did and said they were going to do. It's too late. They're selling their memoirs. They're, they're making eco sheds. <laughs> that, that homelessness thing of like it resetting to going to this, using the same language, charities using the same language in the, in, in the same context as before the pandemic, ignoring what had happened. That's like copy pasted across everything, isn't it? Mm. Stuff where it felt like there was these new possibilities. I mean, the mutual aid groups, it was great that they were like this grassroots thing and then immediately the government kind of co-opted it, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. even co-opted it into their own spin. And the same with the key workers thing. The key, It's like, okay, this language about essential workers is great, but then they're like clapping shit. Yeah. Christ. And you could tell at the time, you like the, the people who had voted Tory who are now clapping for NHS workers you know immediately you're like, as soon as this is over, you're going to be arguing that they shouldn't have a pay rise because it'll affect inflation and lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. That contradiction of like clapping mixed with not helping. There wasn't a pay rise afterwards, At even all. though yeah. one was asked for. Yeah. And as well, just a little sidebar, but like slightly earlier Starmer trying to oh, like stand shoulder to shoulder on not hell. giving a pay rise to the nurses. Just based on the strategism of like haircut QC going, okay, we're going to stand with the government on not giving a pay rise to the nurses who just helped us through like nationwide life-threatening event. And then the Tories can literally just jump to the left of the Labour Party by giving them literally like, yeah, anything. Yeah, and suddenly the Labour Party has found themselves on the right wing side of an issue about raising pay for nurses. Mm. It just seems like if we can't have any principles and we're just focused on winning then to just strategically blunder on very obvious issues. Well, this is not strategy, is it? They don't, they're just fucking evil. They don't, they don't care about the working class. They're just in it for themselves and believe their own... They've inhaled so much of their own farts that that's replaced their brain. And the fucking handbrake turn from Corbyn to Starmer, every shit error, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter protest, referring to it as like a, a moment... Just it was it was like a barrage of of fucked up stuff from the Labour Party as soon as he was in the stuff in um in twenty twenty when he was like massively pushing for schools to open he seemed to be like pushing for schools to, and insisting on schools being open when it was dangerous more than the Tories were almost definitely he, I in, feel like it was one of his like out of the box issues yeah he's like the bloody the centrist dads who are my base fucking hate their kids and don't want them in yeah. the house. They want to keep working from home on their, like, bougie, like, bullshit jobs, but they don't want Tarquin there. So I'm going to say to school, I'm going to go on telly everywhere I fucking can and ignore the teachers' unions and just say, get the fucking schools open. I know what I said about nationalising energy industries, but my new key policy <laughs> is don't let little Benedict spill yoghurt on daddy's MacBook. <laughs> <laughs> And just agree, just you're just constantly coming out and saying we support the government, but let's not. We have not got time for an episode. Not at all. Absolutely, the Labour Party of cunts. Yeah, um, show the door of that vault again. But what I wanted to say was, in terms of the clapping, where I live is there's lots of students who live around this area, and we've got a kind of not a shared garden, but like our gardens back onto each other. So you get a lot. Of, you can hear what everyone's up to 
through the back windows. Mm. Clapping during this time was ubiquitous, and you could see everyone clapping. But so was partying, right? Mm. We had made some signs that said, shut the fuck up, you cunts, that we were going to put up <laughs> on the lampposts. Because they were because they had nothing, they had nothing to stop them partying. They were literally partying until like four a.m. every fucking night, right? Yeah, it was getting insane. And we'd made that. And when we went to the lamppost to go and put them up, there was a bunch already up saying, "We live on your street, and we're nurses, and we need our sleep. This is very difficult for us." Mm. And judging from like rain damage and stuff, that had been up for ages. Partying Perfect. had not stopped. They're still clapping every day. Ugh. I mean, to an extent, I, I do have sympathy, especially with like young people whose life had shut down obviously i've also got sympathy with the nurses trying to sleep the most important thing is is no one called the fucking cops because the cops yes. in the early pando full gestapo mode like maximum authoritarianism they were using drones to like go after people walking in the pennines mm. what the fuck i think there was some cops in yorkshire who like told some people they couldn't go on their front yard, yeah, their yeah. front grass, and be like, you garden. have to stay in your house. And it was like, I can't leave my house. How do I leave my house to go to the shops? Because you are now watching my house <laughs> to make sure <laughs> I don't go in my front garden. Ridiculous. That context is what made the uh, Boris Johnson party shit land mm. hard because the cops had been like massively draconian on normal people for like no reason other than just cop brain. Like, I like fully given... going into people's houses with no, like, warrant, not even clearly stating what they're in for, but yeah. they're not masked up, but they're saying they're doing it to stop the spread of coronavirus, coming in to, like, breathe on people's stuff. Do you remember, like, images of, like, benches being taped up and, like, moving yeah. people on from parks outside? Just the powers that were given the cops, again, foreshadowing even greater police powers, the speed with which government action could be done, could be used to help people. It was also like, oh, right, they can make the cops super powerful. And also the people egging them on. British people fucking love rules. And again, that's yeah. why like Boris Johnson breaking the rules, capital T, capital R, is more significant than the thousands of deaths he's responsible for. That's why that landed because people were like, yeah, he broke the rules. Damn! Because I think the rules let a lot of people who love authoritarianism think it's justified by something that's internally consistent. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's the same. Every time you see a viral video of one of the Queen's guards, like booting a child in the head, and there's like a thousand people. Yeah, in. they're like, well, kids shouldn't have been there. Well, and there's also, I feel like what they really want to say is like, God, I wish that were me. What, getting hit? <laughs> God, I wish I would be brutalised by the police. Yeah, I wish I was in the body of a child getting stomped <laughs> i wish i could be de-aged and then stamped on by prince a charles big man. <laughs> yeah. i want prince charles to be a giant and punch directly through my front door while i'm trying to open it <laughs> <laughs> as well as the mass deaths which we fucking covered at the time in terms of the care homes and but there's just the amounts of money it's like oh great the hegemony of austerity has been burst but where is the fuck is all this money going? Just all these dodgy contracts to people who've never made PPE before. The insane track and trace money. And it's all just like siphoned off. It's just like all this money's gone into the economy, but it's just gone. The, the amount of profits have gone up over the pandemic. And a mm. lot of that is just money from the state given to the ruling class. Yeah. Whoosh. They've just fully got away with that because the media just don't, they don't care. They don't care about the death. They've moved on from that. They don't care about the billions of pounds stolen from the population of the country into the hands of the super rich 
but they do care about like with the rules. The Boris Johnson broke the rules. Led by donkeys beaming a this you of times when <laughs> Boris Johnson said he likes Pepper Army, but then later said he didn't, beaming that onto the moon and then doing a world <laughs> tour where they bow to everyone and say, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> the other bleak thing is the anti-China racism. Mm. I tell you what was what a, a weird cycle that took, which was initially China's being really authoritarian and being and really bad, China bad for doing lockdown. And then also somehow China tricked the West into not locking down early enough because they didn't give yes. them enough information. Yeah, so yeah. We'll, uh, hold on. Because I, I, China early pandemic were going like, Lads, this is bad. This is. They mm. were like, it wasn't just them locking down themselves. They were telling everyone else, hello, there's this coronavirus thing. Very, very bad. Recommend action now. And our, our governments were like, nah. Yeah. What are you on about? It's a bad kind of racism to get really into when yeah. you are an entire culture that cannot differentiate between China and any of the other East Asian countries <laughs> that surround it. I think there was an uptick in racism against East Asian people in yeah. the West, big time. And the, the news, the news facilitated that. The news facilitated, obviously, there's a conspiracy theory nut jobs who are like, "Oh, the Chinese government created it." It's like the you know the Chinese virus, the China virus, yeah. or whatever kind of like Trumpisms. That that was fucked up. A million people discussing what a wet market might even be. Perhaps a missile bunker. <laughs> <laughs> when they say uh, you know the coronavirus came from bats, they mean the bat cave. Batman's bunker. They just shone a bat symbol up and Batman came out and breathed on everyone. Batman's cough. Yeah, it's just his disease. The more I've thought about this like reversal of fortunes in the response to COVID, mm. the more confusing thing to me is why they did all of the good stuff at the beginning. This idea to lock down and to move away from herd immunity, which they were clearly testing, and in the end more or less went back to yeah like was it the fact that they um had to cede some control to scientists because they had like the the fear of coronavirus actually made them relent a bit and let some other authorities call some shots who obviously would i not think a combination of trade unions the government scientists international pressure because mm. it wasn't like the uk was like pioneering this stuff like furlough and lockdown was happening elsewhere as well and some even of Britain's bootlicking liberal media class who will just throw people under the bus at any opportunity were like, oh, we should do something. There was there was various, various pressures on them. If we want to go really cynical, I'm sure there were some of them who just saw a massive opportunity to... Like, the economy was already... It wasn't like COVID caused the economic crash. The economy was already going into mm. a recession before COVID hit, and it, it was only being sustained by massive private debt like private debt in terms of like individual personal credit, you know, like household debt. Yeah, yeah And then yeah. The corporate debt, there was like this opportunity to go, well, why don't we just do like we did in 2007, 2008 and use the state to pump a load more money into the economy? Ah, so it was covert quantitative easing, but you get to blame the coronavirus rather than Gordon Brown who said, I just did it. Not even quantitative easing, just literally handing money to the ruling class <laughs> couldn't you say in a way that like furlough was just a way of pumping money back into the well or at least stopping the economy seizing up because no yeah. one has any money sure. or jobs sure 
So you need to maintain, there's the money going directly to capital and then there's money yeah. going to capital through extra steps, which furlough is. Well, to an extent, furlough is mainly targeted at more middle-class jobs, but that yeah. isn't to erase the people who are doing previously seen as middle-class white-collar jobs, but are actually paid dreadfully and have dreadful conditions, which are a lot of people on furlough in that category as well. But it, a means by which to maintain consumer demand. I think they were slightly rattled by the international pressure, the science and, well, mass death and people kicking off mm. at the time in 2020. And then that, that has gone. That threat, that moment has passed and they feel safe and emboldened now. But those are two factors I hadn't thought about. One is that obviously like welfareism in the UK just means giving giving capitalists money via poor people who then yes. have to pay. Housing benefit is a subsidy for landlords, not fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. working class people. But in terms of that's what welfareism is, they get to expand welfareism, but not have to like have any complex ideological conversations about why they've changed strategy or anything. Mm. They go, this was a pandemic response. They can't go on fucking holiday to Corfu or wherever if we're Plague Island and travel is restricted here because every other place in like Europe and major economies have sorted it out with a combined strategy and we've just let it rip through us. Eat Out to Help Out, classic example. It's a subsidy not just to like the restaurant industry, um, Mm. but also to the landlords who collect rent from restaurants. Yeah. Uh, Because... The, the longer people weren't going out to stuff and the longer lockdown went on, commercial landlords were under threat because even businesses, because capital doesn't all agree with each other. If you're a business and you have to, a large part of your outgoing, probably the second biggest outgoing after yeah. wages is is rent and you see an opportunity to get your workforce to just work from home and then they take on all of the electric bill and the gas bill and and you don't have to pay and you can reduce your office size <laughs> like yeah. there's there's for that part of capital they're like well, hold on this is a way for me to increase profits and offload some of the the losses of the company onto my employees amazing mm. yeah. <laughs> maybe i can even justify paying them less because they're and on the basis of them not commuting you know like loads of insane stuff could go it was probably going through that faction of capital's mind but then landlord capital it's like we need the rent they need the people to be going out and they eat out to help out was a means by which to get people going to the restaurants and then hopefully to the to the other stuff that's around yeah. them in terms of like fiendishly evil policy furlough turning into something like eat out to help out because obviously furlough mm. you now are having your wage in part guaranteed by the government mm. and you could use that wage to do mutual aid mm. and buy food for other people eat out to help out <laughs> could only be used yeah, yeah. to buy a little sandwich for you Beryl, do you want to come for a curry? Hello? Does anyone need anything? It has to be um, just a tiny packet of um, a boiled egg cut in half with a little bit of uh, honey mayo. It will cost £4 each. Is anyone in there? Come on, let's we'll see if we can take box. an ostrich through the drive-thru. Hold on, does the, does the out to help out cover a drive-thru? We'll find out. Come on, Beryl. Come on, Beryl, we're all on our ostriches. <laughs> we're a road gang now. Trevor's bought a chain and he's swinging it around his head like a lasso. <laughs> I cannot prove this, and I would love to find every evidence of this, but the timings match up perfectly. Mm. The everyone in anti-homelessness scheme to like yeah, accommodate yeah. rough sleepers was wound down with like just as the stuff for the spring statement was being put together mm. and then E Out to Help Out was launched right after it 
completely finalised. Like, the timings match up to suggest that everyone in was wound down to make more money for Eat Out to help out. Fucking hell. Well, and then come September as well, the the push to get the schools open and get the kids in school, even though they're a massive vector for a machine for spreading disease. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, and they're, they're in like, they're trapped in a room for an hour with a bunch yeah. of kids and then they go to an- another different classroom with a different bunch of students and then they're in the corridors. It's like a machine for spreading the virus and that, you know, they're m- most likely to be doing so asymptomatic. Yeah. But at the same time, they're like, both parties are like, oh, we've got to, got to get the schools open Ag- against union advice and also the sort of COVID advice was, especially where it's like, we're still allowing loads of people to work from home, but we, you, you're pushing for this. Mm. And it's like, well, the, the only reason is to enable parents to get back to the office so they can make sure that that fucking commercial rent's coming in. Yeah. But but framed as like, oh, we need to do this for the kids. Obviously, you're a teacher, so you would have had a different relationship to me as this. But there's definitely a time when all the schools were open, but people by and large were being really cautious. I treated any child in public like they visibly had rabies. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, Do you know in they countries where animals have rape, like yeah, people yeah. are terrified of rats and stuff, yeah. just... In case they got rabies, I just wouldn't go near a child because I'm like, you're literally going down to the plague factory. Yeah, that's where you work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and of course, they love to breathe. They love it. They never. They are doing addicted it. to it. When I was a child, I loved nothing more than to meet with my friends and inhale. Yeah, breath heads. Yeah. Is your kid on breath? <laughs> yeah. Is your child texting about breath? <laughs> Brb. Breathing. Rep- respiration. Um. Uh, <laughs> I felt so confident and joke like that normally normally I'd think make sure you've worked out all the bits before you start but I thought come on um, I've had so many W's lately this will go well yeah, didn't. breathing respiration um, bronchitis I thought bronchitis but I thought that's a whole other you know bronchitis ain't that bad another breathing <laughs> bronchitis ain't that bad uh, yeah call me when there's long bronchitis <laughs> I'm worried this is a reach because it's uncharacteristically hopeful for me and this podcast. (laughs) Right? Go on. But it does feel like, given what we talked about with how fast the mutual aid stuff sprang up and how suddenly people's focus went to taking care of other people. Mm. Also, lots of people picked up caring responsibilities during this time and did it because people had to stay in doors mm-hmm. people had to you know people had to reckon with the people close to them and learn to look after them and live with them a lot of people didn't a lot of relationships and families and stuff broke down but um <laughs> you know it sounds like maybe there was something wrong you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know have to deal with eventually. they were the virus yeah you can't be making lasagnas all day at one point you've got to talk yeah, to them <laughs> but it does suggest that the long tail of capitalism's horrible brain worms mm. aren't so entrenched that if it were the case that things pause People don't revert to what... It's a big claim, but what I believe is just a more natural state for human beings that don't have Mm. behaviour-modifying external pressures and incentives placed on them, which is a kind of socially-minded altruism. It didn't go full Hobbesian war of all against all. Which is what we were told was supposed to happen. Yeah, which is what was supposed to happen. We were told without the state stopping us from fucking murdering each other, you know, whereas, in fact, the state paused its responsibilities 
during a crisis and people immediately came to fill in yeah. and become a safety net for each other. And it became fucked when the state massively empowered cops and started encroaching on things and doing all mad corrupt shit. But mm. that initial thing at the start, you know, the essential workers keeping everything going, people, other people's solidarity with essential workers, real solidarity, mm. not just clapping, but like genuine appreciation. Yes, it was co-opted, but it was nonetheless real and there and widespread. The people who adapted to new ways of working, not just the healthcare workers, but people in education. And even the role of unions, it did feel like unions were involved in, in national discussion and with workplaces in terms of like how to deal with this. It's like capitalist realism was punctured. And, mm. then it's, and then it feels like that puncture has closed like a horrible sphincter. But, you know, there's still a glimmer of light coming through the sphincter it can wink back open once more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm running with scripted, that analogy yeah. of, yeah, capitalist <laughs> realism as a little sphincter. Also the idea that it's been punctured and now there's a sphincter, like it's a wound that's got muscles. Yeah, I like that. I mean, obviously everyone's thinking an anus, but you know, yeah. you could see... No, no, you could see the def- a sphincter. Yeah, do you know, like, um, I like the, you know, the doors in Alien in the vents. Well, I was even thinking maybe a little bit closer to the anus, yeah. you know? There's the anus. We think when people say sphincter, they think anus, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, but the anus is only the last sphincter. The anus is all, the last all the chambers. Yeah, yeah. All the chambers of it's the like intestines. An yeah, they're all little bubbles. You go in there. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know mm. what the intestines for. I feel it's like it's, it's most of our body. Most of our body is just an intestine. It's a lot. It's long. The intestine isn't it like twenty meters or something. No, I think it goes all the way to the moon if you stretch it out. Mm. I feel like I read that in like um. If you lined up all your veins, it would go around the world, kind of. How long is intestine? Fact. How, How long, long is intestine? intestine? Okay, it says here, and this is this is from um, yeah. Dorling Kindersley book. Mm. Is that it, DK? Dorsley Dor- kin- no Kinderful? If you were to stretch out your large and small intestines in one line and walk on them right. like um, a tightrope. Tightrope, yeah. Is, yeah. is it strong enough to do that? You would walk to Mars. Mars? Yeah, you'd walk to Mars. Oh, fuck off. How yeah. thin is it if it's getting stretched like that? An atom. Well, you can't tightrope on an atom. <laughs> it does say it'd be very difficult and you would asphyxiate before you reach your destination. <laughs> does it say that? No, it hasn't said any of this. It's about 9 to 16 feet. <laughs> wow. Wow. Let's, um, <laughs> what we need to find a way of doing is using an intest- our intestines, our collective intestines, to tie together the now into the future we want. Mm, and yeah. grasp my hand, Sean. Come, let us walk the tightrope of the poo tube. Here we go. Oh, it's slippy. It's slippy. Don't worry, my ostrich has very good grip. <laughs> Off I go. <laughs> if you could just put the sound effect of me swinging a rope of intestines like a lasso. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go! <laughs> Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Lewis Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella Jean with additional music from Sean Morley. Thank you for listening to Mando's and special chunky thank you to those of you who support us by sharing episodes on social media and who support our work at patreon.com slash mandatory redistribution party where you can access bonus extra content such as Sean's recent attempt to cancel towns. Godspeed, friends. Godspeed.